0: Okay, well, let's go ahead and dive in. Um, I'll pray and we'll jump into our topic this morning. Father, we praise you as for your love for us, praise you for um, the blessing that you give us of coming together as uh, your bride, as um, the body of Christ, to come together to worship uh, you, to open your word to dive into the rich truths that you've given us to uh, reveal yourself to us. Pray, Father, as we come before uh, this uh, topic of Christ as our mediator, I just pray that you would uh, just help it be a time of blessing for us that uh, as, we, as we look at the, these uh, facets of, of Christ as our mediator, as we try to look at as much as we can the short amount of time that we have, that you would help us uh, help us if, if nothing else to walk away with just a greater assurance uh, of your love for us and the, the comfort and the hope that we have in Christ. And we just pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay well originally what you for? was that yeah I was just about to say ori- originally Nick was going to be teaching uh, this class okay. and uh, his uh, his uh, work schedule changed. So he he asked if I could sub, and since I wasn't teaching in that class, yep. even though I was, very, I was very much looking forward to the topic of the class today, but uh, that's why we're recording it. And I like to teach. I said, "Sure, I'll yeah. teach." <laughs> um, so we are up to chapter eight of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, and uh, as as we look through, we've kind of. Uh, One commentary I was looking at uh, is a commentary on the Westminster Confession of Faith, which the London Baptist uh, Confession of Faith is, for the most part, largely grounded in the Westminster and Savoy um, uh, uh, Confessions. And that's mostly because they recognized uh, both with the Westminster and Savoy, this is the great, this is the body of truth that the universal church believes in so why would we change it because this is what we believe other than some obvious points on church government uh, governance and baptism um, so a lot a lot of it's westminster but there's kind of division you have kind of found the foundational uh, truths as we look at holy scripture and god and the holy trinity uh, we we look at these various things we've seen in god's decree and creation his divine providence Then you see in uh, the chapter on the fall of man, sin, and its punishment, the great problem all of a sudden that we have introduced. The great problem that man has with God. A a chasm has been created by the fall as sin entered the world. Then that logically falls into God's covenant, even though today we'll be talking about a a covenant that came uh, before the fall. And then today we're in Christ the Mediator. Hey, Larry. Christ the mediator, and as we go on from this section, the next section, big block, uh, is is uh, tied to salvation. All that we believe in salvation, Christ the mediator fits right between these things, and it's kind of that perfect place uh, for us to see as we look at all the foundation of what we believe, creation, the problem that man has with God and with sin, uh, and then before we look at salvation, it's Christ the mediator. We get to see all, all the, the beauties of justification and adoption and assurance that we're about to talk about, it's all because of the, the wonderful mediator that we have in Christ. Um, this is one of the longer um, chapters. I do want to read through it because I think since it is a study on the confession, I think it's important that we do read through it. Um, so what I'm going to do today is kind of walk through each point, uh, lump a couple together, make a few comments. If at any point you have questions, uh, just shoot them out and we will, uh, work through those together. Um, I would suggest though, that if this isn't quite enough for you, go on our website to past audio and this last of winter season, we had a, a Christology class that we went through. And the Christolo- the Christology class is going to touch on much of what this uh, this chapter uh, talks about. Because we've got 45 minutes now to talk through a, a lot of detail that you could you could probably take a class per paragraph to really dig in. And even if you go and listen to the Christology class, you're going to find yourself in the same boat. Or even though it was a five-week uh, five week <laughs> Uh, series, you're going to be wanting more, uh, just because there there's so much. I think John John says, if I were to record all that Christ had done, there, it, you know, he speaks in hyperbolic language, but it's like there wouldn't be enough space on the world to hold the amount of books. And so, it's, be patient with me as we try to like just very lightly skim the surface uh, of this uh, uh, topic of Christ the Mediator. I want to start off, though, uh, with just reading Hebrews chapter 2, if you want to turn there. <clears throat> and for the sake of time, I'll skip a few verses. Hebrews chapter 2, let's start, just start with verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I love Hebrews. Hebrews is just a fantastic, I mean, The whole the whole scripture is fantastic, but Hebrews is fantastic as, as the author of Hebrews takes uh, all the types and shadows that we've seen in the Old Testament and just lays it out for us to show us how Christ uh, is is the better prophet, priest, and king that Christ has done this for us. This chapter uh, chapter two uh, really deals a lot with Christ as our mediator that we're going to be looking at today. Is Christ took on flesh. He understands our weaknesses. He is compassionate toward us. Uh, When we are tempted, we know who we can look to. We can look to our faithful mediator, our our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So if there's anything that you take away uh, from the study this morning, I I hope it's just that sweet assurance that we have uh, as— I always want to say this is Owen, but it's probably someone else— I don't think I'm wrong when I say this, um, but you know we are great sinners, but we have a greater Savior. So I, ho- I hope we walk away with that today. So again, chapter eight of the London Baptist Confession: Christ, the Mediator. Before we move past the title, I just want to talk about what a mediator is. So what what is a mediator? Go-between. A go-between. Neutral third party. A neutral third party? To a to a cent, uh, in a sense, but uh one one point um one writer, William Plummer, makes a uh, a difference between a um uh what was it? The words the word is a the word slipping my mind. But instead of instead of being a neutral third party that comes in, a mediator actually has standing with both parties. Mm-hmm. So the mediator, not it, it's in the sense of standing, it's a uh, a sense of concern and um, ownership of both parties that he wants to see both parties resolve the 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 conflict. Um, <laughs> Because he has a stake in both. So uh, William Plummer said, "A mediator is one that comes in between parties who are at variance in order to reconcile them." First, be, uh, based on that on that line, he says, "There's no variant uh, where there's no variance. There can be no mediation. If you don't have an issue, you don't need a mediator." But as we've seen so far in our study of the confession, there is an issue, Mm -hmm. a really big issue with God uh, and man. So there there is an issue that we need a mediator. It says if there's no parties, there can be no mediator. So we know the parties are God and man. Um, A mediator differs. Here it is. A mediator differs from an advocate because the latter, strictly speaking, looks to the interests of one alone, while the former has a regard to both. So that's kind of what we were talking about this. Christ has uh, uh, regard and concern for both. He says it is right and fit. Perhaps it is necessary that a mediator should be the equal of both parties. Jesus Christ has this fitness for his work. He can lay his hand both upon God and sinners. He knows God's will and God's rights. He knows man's sins and man's wants. He will not betray either party. I, I, those last few lines, I thought, were just beautiful. As we think about Christ as our mediator, this go-between, he has interests in both with God and man. As we just read out of Hebrews 2, he, he took on flesh. He's not ashamed to call us brothers so that we can have this confidence that our this perfect mediator will not betray either party. So kind of with that idea of a mediator in mind, let's start... Uh, walking through these paragraphs. We're in chapter 8. Uh, yeah, if you have your booklet or you have an online version pulled up, I might have you take turns reading the paragraphs. But what we're going to do, there's a lot to cover in today's uh, lesson. We're going to read the paragraphs. I'm going to talk about a few points. And at any point that you have questions or comments, just interject. Okay, who's got chapter uh, paragraph 1 pulled up? Who would like to read it? Dan?
1: It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, according to the covenant made between them both, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, head and savior of the church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be... By him in
0: time, redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Okay. Hey <coughs> yeah, you. Good morning. So a, a couple key phrases there. He talks about eternal purpose. <clears throat> uh, the, he, the, the authors of the, of the confession talk about eternal purpose. Talk about uh, <clears throat> it's from all eternity. Talks about a covenant <clears throat> made between uh, them both. So when we talk about a covenant, I know last week we talked about covenants. You might have, I haven't had a chance to listen to that class. So did y'all get into the covenant of redemption at all? Yes, great. So I don't, need, I don't need to cover the covenant of redemption too much. Uh, just understanding it's a covenant made in eternity, the, as it talks about here, uh, the Father from all eternity gave a people to be His seed, um, and 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 to be by him in time redeemed. So the father uh, elects some to eternal life. He has a uh, his the seed, this offspring, the son then willingly takes the role of a mediator or a redeemer of the elect. A lot of times when you speak about the covenant of redemption, you'll because the language of scripture talks specifically about the father and the son, uh Sometimes you won't hear the Holy Spirit mentioned. Other times, and I would agree this is a a good uh, Mm -hmm. way to frame it, by necessity, the Holy Spirit is involved in Mm -hmm. in agreeing to uh, apply and seal that redemption to the elect. And we say necessity because the the Trinity does nothing outside of perfect harmony and agreement with one another. So there's not like... There's not a sidebar conversation between the father and the son. Hey, hey, Holy Spirit, wait over there for a little while. We we we've got some business to do. No, they, they work in perfect harmony, perfect agreement. We'll see that uh, as we go on in today's lesson. Uh, we might touch on you know the, the idea where you have an angry father who just wants to kill uh, kill this the sinful offspring. And then you have the loving son who steps in and says, no, dad, don't do it. Take it out on me. That's not how it was. John three sixteen. Mm-hmm. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So we, we have to see it's, it's out of the holiness and justice of our loving father that punishment had mm-hmm. to take place. And then you have the son say, "I will take the punishment. I will ransom a people uh, for your for uh, uh, my, your own possession." So um, the, we have this language in here of an eternal covenant. Um, it's kind of a beautiful thing. The the Jewish marriage uh, custom. It, it, a lot of times, you think of it like a dowry that. The, the, the bride's family gives to the groom. Well, the Jewish marriage custom is actually the opposite. The, the groom gives the, the groom's fa- uh, family, they have an arranged marriage. say <clears throat> so we would like our son to marry your daughter. And they have a bride price that they give to the father of the bride. Uh, and then the, the groom would go home and, be, and begin to prepare a home for he and his bride. And as you think about things like the parable of the ten virgins and the and the bridegroom coming uh, and uh, kind of those these wedding feast parables or the wedding feasts in Revelation, this kind of makes sense. So the groom goes to prepare a place for a home, and then at the proper time he comes to retrieve his bride. They have the wedding ceremony, the wedding feast, and then... They go home. So it's as perfect as we think about uh, just salvation, as we think about end times. It's this beautiful picture of, of um, the bride price being paid, the, the uh, room getting the, the purchase that the bride goes to prepare a place, comes back to bring us uh, home to be with him. Um, any questions on number one? Before we move on to paragraph two, like I said, we're gonna, there's a lot to hit in these paragraphs. I'm not I'm not pretending to even scratch the surface. For the sake of time, we're kind of flying through. Just with the mediator,
2: um Job, Job 9, I don't remember the verse, but he says, if only there were a mediator that could come between us, that could put his hand on me and on on the father. Job, there is one. Yes, just wait; he's coming. Yeah,
0: Yeah. it's beautiful. I love it because you know you hear people poo-poo the idea of um, Job mentioning Christ. You know, I know that my Redeemer lives. Well, Job obviously couldn't have, but this is inspired scripture. This, and we understand Mm -hmm. that all of pages, it's uh, as as one author says. It's not that we read christ into the old testament is that we refuse to read him out of it he is there and uh yeah that those yeah those are that's a verse that's highlighted in in my bible with Job. i love that's a great verse okay who would like to read paragraph two the son of god the second person
3: of the in the holy trinity being very and eternal god the brightness of the Father's glory of one substance and equal with him who made the good world, who upholds and governs all things he has made, did, when the fullness of time was complete, take upon him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities of it, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her, and so made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, Of the seed of Abraham and David according to the scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator
0: between God and man. Okay. So we have begin to see some language of the the hypostatic union. And again, in we got thirty minutes left. Uh there's ten paragraphs in this chapter. I'm not going to be able to wax eloquent about the hypostatic union and the amount of time we have, but it is very important, especially the last the last couple of lines there. Mm-hmm. Two natures in one person. Two natures in one person. There are not multiple uh persons. There's two natures in one person inseparably joined together without conversion composition or confusion. So there's not some method uh, conversion happening where um, God somehow is changed. The Son of God is somehow changed and man is somehow changed. There's not a, uh, a composite here where it's the, this melding of the two to have like a, a composite metal or something, composite wood. Mm-hmm. That No, it's not that. There's two natures in one person. Uh, it's there's no confusion um soon we're gonna in one of the paragraphs here we're going to talk on how each how ha- the son of God there are certain uh, things that he does that are uh, um, that are attributed to to the deity of Christ and some that are attributed to the humanity of Christ and yet sometimes scripture speaks of of the deity of Christ in a sense of something that the manhood has done. So if there's not confusion, we do realize there's one unified person um, throughout all eternity, as we'll, as we'll see in a minute here. is um, it so important that there's no
2: confusion or, or conversion because then he wouldn't be God because God is unchangeable. Mm -hmm. So God can't change. Therefore, Jesus, well, actually, the Son of God, who is God himself, cannot change. But he can take on humanity. Yeah. And if humanity had changed, then he was not human, and therefore he couldn't be our representative.
0: Yes. This is, when I was younger, not not that long ago probably, uh, I remember speaking in terms of him being 100% God and 100% man. And then soon after reading uh, some uh, smarter men than myself I realized it's not really wise to speak in terms of percentages. Uh, that's why you see in these confessions very God, very man, mm-hmm. truly God, truly man, fully God, fully man. It's, it's he is true God. His divinity does not change. As you said, Damien, he, he cannot. The very thing, one of the very things that makes God God is he does not change. So yes, he, he takes on flesh. And at the same time, to be that mediator that we talked about at the beginning, who has his hand on God and man, he needs to be true man. Yep. He can't be some uh, some amalgamation of, a, of, a, of humanity that's like, okay, it's close enough. No, he's also very man. Uh, so it, it's it's vital that we understand that. Uh, and again, it's, it's that peace and assurance that we have, that we have a mediator who understands our weaknesses, yet without sin. And we sometimes, as we talked about in the Christology class, we sometimes get, um, well, could God, could Christ be truly man if he didn't sin. Well, we forget what is the model of true humanity. Is it who I am right now? No. We got to look back to creation when God declared all <clears throat> things very good. He's not looking at sinful man, he's looking at true humanity. God created it in knowledge, righteousness and holiness. So he so Christ comes as true man who who can be tempted as we are tempted because he is born uh, in our flesh. He's, he was born at such time under the law, feel, uh, feeling the infirmities of our life. He feels the temptations, but he does not sin. Where Adam failed, Adam uh, Adam fell into temptation and sin, Christ is not. Um, <clears throat> okay, let's uh, move on. Paragraphs, eight, uh, paragraphs three and four. I want to read those two together. All right. who, who take number, uh, paragraph three. The
2: Lord Jesus in his human nature, thus united to the divine in the person of the son was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in whom it pleased the father that all fullness should dwell to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand, and gave him
4: commandment to execute the same. And paragraph four this office the lord jesus did most willingly undertake which that he might discharge he was made under the law and did perfect did, and did perfectly fulfill it and underwent the punishment due to us which we should have borne and suffered being being made sin and a curse for us enduring most grievous uh sorrows in his soul and most powerful sufferings in his body was crucified and died and remained in the state of the dead, yet saw no corruption. On the third day he arose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered with which he also ascended into heaven and there sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession and shall return to judge men and angels at
0: the end of the world. Okay. Kind of a, we can talk about whatever aspects of this you want to. Just the one thought I, I wrote down um, is, that I said, "Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sits enthroned on high um, this very moment as the God-Man, making the intercession for us." I mean, it, it's it's important. Yeah, it's, it's we think about the the disciples seeing the risen Christ, and John records that Thomas wasn't there. And they, and they turn and they, they, they tell Thomas when they find him, they say, hey, we have seen the risen Lord. We, he is alive. And he says, I will believe it when I can put my hands in the nail holes in his, ha- in his, ha- in his hands and his feet and my hand in the, in the uh, hole in his side from the spear. So then the next time they're all gathered together, this time Thomas is there and Christ again comes before them and, and he says, Thomas. And it's an invitation. It's not like, oh, you bad Thomas. Thomas, come, touch my hands and my feet. Put your hand in my side. And the, the way that it's told us, it's, it doesn't even seem like Thomas had to take him up on that. Thomas believed. My Lord and my God. It's the equivalent of, of the uh, Old Testament Yahweh. My Yahweh. It is a beautiful, as John writes his, his gospel, and he says in his kind of purpose statement, I write these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is kind of embodied in Thomas. Where he sees the risen Savior, and he confesses him as God Almighty. It's a beautiful thing, and it's a beautiful thing to think when we enter glory, we will see the lamb standing as if slain with his the, the holes in his hand and the holes in his feet and the hole the piercing in his side. You see, you know, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. What a beautiful thing that our Savior, the, the scars of, of his... Crucifixion, which are the physical scars, as, as this paragraph gets into more. He bore the wrath of God for me. He bore the wrath of God for you. When we enter into glory, we will see that. And I, think, like Thomas, I think we will. My Lord and my God. You know that's there. What else can we say? It, it will. It, it's just a beautiful, a, a beautiful picture to understand. And and then to understand that even now, in those times where we are just confused about life, the times that we struggle with just the sadness and sorrows of life, the times that we struggle with temptation, and that same old sin is kicking us down. Like, Lord, why is dealing with temptation, mortifying the flesh, so difficult? It's so important for us to remember. Our Savior sits enthroned on high this very moment, making intercession for us. So when the enemy says, you are worthless, why do you think you deserve to go to heaven? Why do you think you can be called a Christian, even have that title? It's like, not because of me, but because of him. Because my, my Savior bears the scars even now, showing that he has paid the price to its fullest for me.
4: I never caught I never, uh, that before. Something you just said there. Um, when we die, we go to have all our imp- we get a new body. Yeah, our imperfections are fixed. When mm-hmm. he died, grows again. He's still gonna bear the scars. Mm-hmm. It's gonna show. I wonder. I wonder. Yeah, that's amazing. It is. Yeah, I
0: wonder, that's amazing. It's like I don't know. It's the old it's old so gospel song that says yeah. the old the only man made thing in heaven are the scars. Yeah. I know him. <laughs> yeah.
4: That you know, I yeah. Know him get there by, by right. the and Yeah. That. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. Um, paragraph, again, we're just lightly scratching the surface here. Uh, paragraph five. Someone could read that.
1: The Lord Jesus, by his perfect, perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself, which he through the eternal spirit once offered up to God, has fully satisfied the justice of God, procured reconciliation, and purchased an everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven for all those whom the Father has given unto him.
0: The, uh, this, the commentary again on the Westminster Confession, again, it uses the same language here. Um, Chad Van Dixhorn uh, uh uh, his, uh, Christian historian. He writes here, he says, Christ obeyed the whole of God's law for the whole of his life. Nothing that he should have done was left undone and nothing that he should ha- that he should not have done was done. As the son of man, he obeyed every command that the law required of man. As the son of God, he honored his father in coming to this world to save God's people. That language again as, as we think about think of the shorter catechism, what is sin sin is any want of conformity to or transgression of the law of God Jesus doesn't didn't do anything that he wasn't supposed to do and he did everything that he was supposed to do that man, the obligation that is on man he took upon himself um, I, I love. This speaks of the everlasting inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. I love the language in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter describes this inheritance, verses 3 through 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is an imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time this these this these words here imperishable undefiled unfading it's it's an undoing of the fall and yet it's even a better even better than just simply returning to eden it's entering into the glorious inheritance that would have been ours had adam perfectly obeyed Adam fell. Christ comes, at the pro- as Galatians says, at the proper time, under the law. He comes to fulfill all that was ours, to, that we were called to fulfill. He does it on our behalf, as our mediator, and he ushers us into, uh, as we will uh, see in glory, he ushers us into the perfection of an inheritance that is ours, that is an imperishable, and undefiled, unfading, this is a, a beautiful um, uh, picture of what we have
2: ahead of us. There's something um, very uh, Protestant about one little word in here. Yeah. Which he, through the eternal spirit, once offered up unto God. Yeah, I say that that's Protestant because the Catholic Church celebrates the Mass, yes. which is continually being sacrificed
0: over and over and over yeah but he died once once yeah that's again goes back to Hebrews once like we no longer have these animals that Mm -hmm. are having to be sacrificed constantly they taught year after year yeah I think it's probably a lot of the detailing that through Josephus the other historians of the times the the temple is just a bloody place Mm -hmm. there's constant blood just flowing from it from all the animal sacrifices. But and the author of Hebrews makes this point. It's like he offered himself once. Mm-hmm. Because all those animals were just a type and shadow of the perfect sacrifice that was necessary. So when the perfect comes, there's no longer a need for any further sacrifice. That's why Jesus breathes his last, and the temple curtain is mm-hmm. that between between the holy place and the holy and of holies is rent into, it's opened up, mm-hmm. it's done. Um, this is why I've, we um, we see the. I think we see the destruction of the temple in eighty seventy is like that final nail in the coffin, saying no, it is done. There is no more sacrifice. That also speaks to
4: the false doctrine. I don't agree. So much anymore, but I know in the the 80s and 70s and 80s, I heard it all the time, especially in the charismatic movement, losing your salvation. Yeah. And I would always retort to them that if you could lose your salvation, Christ has to come back and die again. Mm -hmm. They didn't understand that. That's why you can't lose it. If you lose it, he has to repeat the sacrifice over and over and over and over and over again in order to redeem you. So if you did lose it, you'll never be able to be saved again, anyway. And that's exactly why the Catholic Church
2: sacrifices the mass every Sunday, because you can lose your salvation.
4: Yeah.
0: In in the Catholic doctrine, you're not secure. Right. Yeah. So they're at least logical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they oh, don't. Yeah. They. It's a complete defiance and heresy of the Word of God, but. It's logical in their in their system. Uh, where are we at? Six. Paragraph six.
2: Although the price of redemption was not actually paid by Christ till after his incarnation, yet the virtue, efficacy, and benefit thereof were communicated to the elect in all ages, successively from the beginning of the world in and by those promises, types and sacrifices wherein he was revealed and signified to be the seed which would bruise the serpent's head, and the land slain from the foundation of the world, being the same yesterday and today and forever.
3: Okay.
0: This is a mystery. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much of what is in chapter 8 here is a mystery to us, to to figure it out, but It is a beautiful thing as the Christ in time, as we talked about, in eternity, he covenants with the Father and the Holy Spirit and the covenant of redemption. In time, he comes to actually do what he uh, covenanted to do in eternity to rescue people. And yet, somehow in time, that is still... Applied to all those who, who came to God in faith. They, The Old Testament saints weren't saved by the law. We can't say, oh, the Old Testament saints were saved this way, and now we are saved this way. No, I, this is, again, the author of Hebrews brings us back to this just with the, the land promise. He says, even Abraham wasn't looking for a physical land. Abraham was looking for the kingdom of God. This is the Old Testament saint through the types and shadows. We're coming to faith in God, longing for the coming Christ. We, on this side of the cross, look and see that Christ has come, and we come to God in faith in Christ. It's all by faith. There's, there's never a point in time where you say, this person was saved because they, because they kept the law. No, it's always been uh, by faith in the uh, uh, anticipation of Christ or in looking back at Christ. Uh, Christ's redemptive work uh, accomplished in time is effectual in all of history. Uh, Paragraph 7. Christ
1: in the work of mediation acts according to both natures. By each nature doing that which is proper to itself, yet by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes, in Scripture, attributed to the person denominated
0: by the other nature. So we already kind of touched on this a little bit. Uh, As we think about his divine nature, could his divine nature die? No. Could his human nature die? Yes, I mean, that's quite necessary, right? For for him to meet, be our mediator, um, and yet sometimes, as you look, if you look uh, at some of the, the references there that they give, it will speak of God. Uh, like I think this the Acts twenty twenty eight talks about God uh, shedding His blood or pur- purchased the church with His own blood. Like well, God God doesn't have blood, but Jesus Christ. Had blood. This is the, it is such a beautiful union that we speak of the accomplishments of, of both natures in the one person. This is that the the analogy I was thinking of is my talking with my sons and my boys and say, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. And I'd be like, now Reese. <laughs> Jesus wasn't around of the creation. You know, he was the son of God. But it's like, you know what? It's okay. <laughs> I don't need to split hairs with my son saying Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Yes, even though the incarnation had not happened in, 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 creation, in creation, he is now united, two, two natures in one person, for eternity. And yes, a lot of times we're going to speak of uh, the one nature doing something else that the, uh, rightly belongs to the, the other nature.
2: And, you know, if, if the Lamb of God, which was slain before the foundation of the world, um, that had to come out of the uh, covenant of redemption, which mm-hmm. was before the foundation of the world, which means he had to have already agreed to take on flesh, yeah, before the foundation of the world. So whether we're talking about the Son of God in that ununited person versus the Son of God as Christ as Jesus, it really makes no difference theologically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: paragraph eight. <clears throat> To all those for whom Christ had obtained eternal redemption, he does certainly and effectually apply and communicate the same, making intercession for them, uniting them to himself by his Spirit, revealing to them in and by his Word the mystery of salvation, persuading them to believe and obey, governing their hearts by his Word and Spirit, and overcoming all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom, in such manner and ways as are most consonant, to his wonderful and unsearchable dispensation, and all of free and absolute grace without any condition foreseen in them to procure it. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. This, you, you want some assurance right there. Here's some assurance for you in paragraph eight. A um, couple of things, talks about the Holy Spirit's work of assurance through God's word. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I've shared before from the pulpit, but that's one of those things I remember as a young man, saying, God, just give me a sign, you know, show me that you're really there. It's like, open the word. Mm-hmm. Let the Holy Spirit testify to you through the words of God. Uh, this is, I think, this where we get the sweet assurance of, of uh, knowing that we are the adopted children of God, that the Holy Spirit tells us, you know, that, that cry of Abba, Father, we have the confidence of that. We know the confidence of that through opening God's word, through enjoying uh, how God has revealed himself to us, the promises that are here. Um, How often as you read through the Old Testament, do the Old Testament saints say, God, I need you to do this thing because you promised to do it, (laughs) right? They, They keep pointing back, To what god promised to do or like as moses intercedes for israel you know do this for your name's sake what are the other nations going to say if you destroy this people in the wilderness for your name's sake deliver us and i think we can do the same thing there we should have full confidence and assurance if the promises of god the promises of god to us in scripture we can say lord Make these things, you know, do this for us, uh, and we 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 say that knowing that God has already promised to do it. If there's anything I, I repeat to my boys over and over and over, is we know. Reese was asking me this morning, why why does uh, he's in Genesis? He says, why does it all <coughs> keep saying the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why doesn't it say the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph? So I got stuck. Well. God made a covenant with Abraham, and then He re covenants with Isaac, and He re covenants with Jacob, and you see that that pattern throughout the throughout Scripture, because it is telling us every time we see those three names, God is a covenant keeper. He is the covenant maker, the covenant keeper. God never breaks His promises. He what's His proof of that? He's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and. So there's just this beauty and understand understanding that God never breaks His word. Never God never breaks His covenant, His promise. Um, that last line, all of free and absolute grace, without any condition foreseen in them to procure it. I think we've you've, you've probably touched on this already in this series, but there's God doesn't look down the corridors of time because it. If God looks down the corridors of time to say, Jeremy will, will come to me, then is grace... Why use the word grace, right? No, it's the thing that Jeremy did. God just happened to look down the corridors of time and said, okay, yeah, Jeremy, he's going to choose me, so I'll, I'll choose him. It's, that nullifies grace. It also nullifies him being God. God. Because...
2: Um, something outside of himself is acting upon him yeah. and causing him to
0: change his mind. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> okay, Last in the last few minutes we have uh, someone read paragraphs 9 and 10.
3: The office of mediator <coughs> between God and man is proper only to Christ, who is the prophet, priest, and king of the church of God. It may not be either in whole or any part thereof transferred from him to any other. This number and order of offices is necessary for in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of his prophetical office and in respect of our alienation from God and imperfection of the best of our services, we need his priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable unto God. In respect, and in respect to our averseness and utter inability to return to God and for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need His kingly office to convince, subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to His heavenly kingdom.
0: Okay. Paragraph nine. More of that Protestant language, right? The office of mediator between can't God and man be Mary. is. Was that? It can't be Mary. Can't be Mary. Can't be Pope. Yep. Hey, and let's bring it down to our own level. Can't be a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a. It's not a priest. Uh, it is. It is Christ. Um, one, uh, j- just thinking of, you know, you have the uh, Roman Catholic practice of the absolution of sins. Who's the one that the priest is acting to absolve you of their sin. They, they, it's power that the priest has to absolve you. Now, there is a Protestant practice in some liturgies of, of, of absolution, but it is declaring from the Word of God mm-hmm. that through Christ— you have been absolved of your sin. It is not the pastor taking upon himself a priestly office in the sense of "I now get, I now have the power to do that." We we understand it is through Christ, it's the promise of His Word. Um, and then just again with this language of prophet, priest, and king, um, again thinking of Hebrews, thinking of just reading through the Old Testament yeah, as what's that? Melchizedek. Melchizedek. But you, as you read through these through the, the Old Testament you see you, you should have Genesis 3:15 in mind the promise of the of the redeemer to come who will crush the serpent's head you have that and as the as the story unfolds you need to be looking for him where is he and as the prophets come up and the priests come up and the kings come up The same thing happens to all of them. They're miserable failures. They all have sin in their life and they all die and they don't come back to life. And we're looking through the the unfolding story of history. Where is the promised Savior, the promised Redeemer who will crush the serpent's head? Who is going to be our perfect prophet? Moses talked about a prophet to come, a better prophet. So then they started looking, well, where's this better prophet? Where's the better priest who can actually go into the Holy of Holies once a year without having to give atonement for his own sin? Who's the priest who can go in and atone for the sin of the people, but not his own? Where's the perfect king? You see David and all his failures. We see Solomon and all his fa- failures. Every you, you as the kingdom is divided... Every king in, in Israel is a wicked king. And there's only a handful of good kings in Judah. But even those good kings end up being, <laughs> show that they are not the perfect king. So where Jesus comes, he is our perfect uh, prophet, priest, and king, as that last paragraph outlined, why we need uh, him to ha- hold these this threefold office. Um, just in closing, since we're now past uh, 10 o'clock, just a few verses, uh, John fourteen six. Christ says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and there's one mediator between God and man, God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And then Romans 5, 1 through 2, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's, there's one mediator between God and man. Um, it's, again, it's a, a lightning pace kind of through a, a chapter that deserves a lot more time, um, but it's a beautiful one. I, I hope an encouragement to you. Any questions, any thoughts, comments? Okay. Larry, would you mind closing us in prayer?
1: Uh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you, Lord, for your plan of redemption that you have given us. We are grateful to you, Lord, for um, Christ, who you have given us to um, redeem us uh, and mediate uh, on our behalf. Lord, out of just his good pleasure, just for your glory. We thank you, Lord, for this uh, great uh, doctrine as Christ's mediator, just the the things that we can live for. I pray that of the things that were taught to us this morning, the things that the scriptures and the the writers of um, this um, confession have done, make it clear to us in our minds that we may better understand you, better uh, communicate to others uh, about you, about your great um, purposes. Lord, we just uh, thank you uh, for this uh, privilege to study uh, these things. Um, Thank you for Jeremy's uh, time and uh, efforts to uh, teach us these things. pray again that uh, that these words would work in us to glorify them. In Jesus' name.